My name's Ann, and I'm an alcoholic. And before I get started here, um, before I get started here, I have to tell you a little something. It's just the way that it is for me. I have this piece of gum in my mouth. It is not out of disrespect to Alcoholics Anonymous that I have this gum in my mouth, but when I get real nervous, my lips stick to my teeth, and I can't talk. So what I do is I keep this little piece of gum over here, and if I get real nervous or something and my lips start sticking to my teeth, I just go, push it back over and to the side. You guys did not see that. And I'll just keep going. That's what I have to do for me, and I thank you for that. I thank you for the privilege of being at this meeting. Chuck and Katie have been wonderful to me. I have talked to Katie many, many times on the phone. She is like a friend to me. I've been running with her uh, most of the day today, and it was a wonderful with my daughter and I. We were, went out to her home, and what a privilege. What a privilege to be here at your convention. I want you to know that I'm a car painter and a bedwetter. I like to tell you that because my sobriety date is May 18, 1981, and it is easy for me to forget. I also want you to know that uh, that countdown was wonderful, and that newcomer, I got to ride in the van with her today, too, because she's one of Katie's. And I want you to know that she's a real important person to me, but that woman over there was 45 years of sobriety, that woman right there. Thank you. Thank you. I come from a real fine family. My parents are very fine people. If my alcoholism had anything to do with my mom and dad, I would not be here. If my parents did anything that hurt me as a small child that caused me to drink, I would not be here. My people were good people. They were kind and loving and hardworking. I have a brother who's two years older than I am. He doesn't drink like me either. I was a real shock to those people. <laughs> I want you to know when I was a little girl, part of this family was we would go to this church. I used to blame that church, too, because these feelings inside of me, they, they had the, his fault or her fault or their fault or somebody else's fault. These feelings inside of me couldn't be me. Maybe it was that church, you know what I mean? Are you okay? Okay, my folks are real fine people, and part of this family that I belong to is that we would go to this church. You go to this church on Friday night or Saturday at noon. I will never get over this. And uh, they'd drop you off, and, and you'd line up along the wall. You'd line up along the wall, and you would go into this little room, that, and, and you would tell this guy that you didn't even know what you had done. Now, at eight years old, I knew that was a bad idea. <laughs> that guy had never even been married before. He didn't know nothing about life. Why would I tell him anything? So I learned at a very early age, how are you, Ann? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. That worked real good when I was a little girl. It worked real good when I was drinking, and it worked real good in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can tell you from personal experience that you can almost find yourself right out that back door. Thank you. Fine. You can. 
Anyway, these parents of mine, they were real good folks, and we went to this church, and my brother's two years older than I am. His name is Jim. He's the intelligent one. I'm the character. He's the quiet one that'd sit in the back of the car, and you'd be driving down the road, and I don't know where this had come from, but I'd just have to bite his arm. You know what I mean? I mean, we're like, we were little kids, and it just bothered me. We were in the back of that car. We were just riding around here, and my folks were trying to throw us things, and I'd just take one look at his arm, and I just had to bite it. I don't know. Anyway, we'd go into this church, and we'd go down the side of the hall, and it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer, and I'd have my brother stand in front of me because, you know, he looks like he's got some semblance of peace. He's basically calm. He goes into this little room. He comes out, goes in front of this church. I go in this little room, and it's dark in there. And this door would slide open. And I would lie. <laughs> I always lied. I'd make up stuff. Just so I didn't have to tell him. After all, it was really none of his business anyway. <laughs> now, when you're a little kid like me and you got an attitude like that, there could be problems, possibly. When I got sober, we'd go up to the front of this church, you know, and we'd sit down there and... and uh, there's no sense in you saying those silly prayers. You've already lied in that little room. So why would you go up there and say those prayers? So you just get on your knees next to your brother, and your brother slides back, and the appropriate amount of time, and then you slide back, and then you walk out of there. And my brother walked out of there with a semblance of peace. And I walk out of there ashamed and bad. And I know God's angry. Because I can't tell you. I just can't tell you. That's the kind of drunk that I was, too. I couldn't tell you either. I have never been able to tell anybody, wow, that hurts my feelings. Please don't do that. Wow, that really makes me feel bad. I wish you wouldn't do that to me. When I was a little kid, I would do that too. I just wouldn't tell. I just, I'm fine. I've been thinking about my dad a lot lately. My father was a, a wonderful little man. He was a Portuguese man. I call him a port, but only ports can say port, so. He was a little Portuguese man. And he, he, when he was a young, young man, he seemed like he, had, he probably had a drinking problem. I, sort of looked like he was an alcoholic, these stories that he'd tell. He used to get on this boat. They'd drive in from Tulare, California, and he'd get on this boat, him and his buds, and they'd go out. And in California, you'd go seven miles out many, many years ago, and you could gamble out there and drink and gamble and be a maniac. And he'd go out there and do that, and he'd tell us really neat stories, you know, and I loved that. I mean, I was a little kid, but I... Geez, that sounded like fun to me. And then he also told us this story about when he was a, a young man and, he, and um, he was drinking in a bar one night. And my brother and I loved this story because everybody likes to hear about their mom and dad. And he'd tell this story about him being this little Portuguese man and they were in this bar and he had all of his Portuguese buds. And they're drinking in this bar. You know that they had gangs many, many years ago then too, many years ago. They had gangs and he was in this bar one night in Tulare, California. And what happened was one of his buddies got his finger cut off. And he got his finger cut off and they took him to the emergency room. There was a little woman in there, 21 years old, from Kansas. And the doctor told that little nurse to go outside and tell those drunk people that they were too loud to get out of that, just be quiet, this is an emergency room. And that little woman from Kansas went out there and she told that little that group of people, she said, you guys, this is an emergency room, I want you to be quiet. You're making too much noise out here. And this little Portuguese man turned around and he looked at that woman. And he said, I'm going to marry you someday. And he did. The drinking and the gambling that my father did at that time started hurting their little marriage. They moved from, from Tulare, California to San Diego. He dropped all of his drinking buddies and he quit. 
talks about people like my dad in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They're heavy drinkers. I know my father didn't love me any more than I loved this little eight-year-old girl that I had when I got here. But when I had to have a drink, I had to have a drink. It just didn't matter. I am an alcoholic. My father was a heavy drinker. It confused me for a long time. It confused him, too. He used to say things to me like, Ann, just be tough, just be tough. Just take every bit of effort that you can, and you just muscle it together, and you muscle it together, and you just be strong, and you just won't drink. And man, I tried that. I tried that so many times. At the end of my drinking, day after day after day, I would be getting up, I'm not going to drink today, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drink today. Within five minutes, you're having to drink. Not because you want to, but because I had to. There is no more option. Anyway, um, this little family of mine, they were good folks. We had a good life. But there's an attitude that I had. And this attitude, it kind of just came along with me. And I found a drink. And I hear people from this podium talking about that they found a drink and it goes boom for them. I want to tell you that for me, I found that drink. It goes way down deep inside of me. And it just goes. I can keep my skin off. I drank. Other people drink to have fun. I want you to know from me, from my story, I drink to get equal. That's what I drink. I'm the kind of person who drinks before you go to the party. I have to have a drink before I go to the party. I cannot show up for life. I can't show up for a party. I can't do anything without a drink. i got to put something inside of me so that I can get equal. I can get equal on the inside. So I put that drink in me and it would just go. I want you to know that I am a car painter. I don't do it for a living, but don't ever hurt my feelings when I'm drinking. <laughs> Part of my drinking is that it's uh, not the only car that I painted, but I want you to know that it was the most fun. I was going with a deputy sheriff, Norwalk substation. The fool had hurt my feelings badly. I went to a store in California called National Lumber. Three quarts, candy apple red paint, screwdriver, plastic bag, drive over to the Norwalk Sheriff Station parking lot. Get out of your car with that plastic bag. <laughs> Walk into that parking lot. Get to that green cougar, pop the first lid. Throw it on the back, second one on the top, third one on the front. Watch that red paint drip down that green cougar for a couple of seconds. Gather up your paint cans and walk out. <laughs> See, I had so much booze in me that night, I shouldn't even have been able to get off of the couch. But when you're on a mission. You get that plastic bag, find the closest gypsy dumpster, you throw that, that, that bag in the gypsy dumpster and you drive home and wait for the call. <laughs> 10 30, quarter to 11, 11 o'clock, phone rings. And you're not going to believe this. Really? <laughs> Someone painted my car. No kidding. Must have been one of them trustees or somebody that I'd arrested. They followed me in here and painted my car. Wow. I'll come home just as soon as I can. I just got to get some of this red paint off my car. I said, okay. 
and see you hang up and you feel real good. Because <laughs> see, I don't know how to tell you. That hurts my feelings. Please don't do that to me. That makes me feel bad. Please don't do that to me. So if you hurt my feelings and I'm drunk, I'll paint the car. <laughs> Seems like just a good idea. Like I said, that's not the only car I painted, but uh, I painted a maroon van, robin egg blue. <laughs> Felt just as good. I want to tell you about that I used to drink in these bars and I used to have a good time. I did. I know that I drank just uh, for the effect that it talked about in Alcoholics Anonymous, the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I know that I drank for that effect now that I've uh, been sober for a long enough period of time and did an inventory. I know that's what I drank. Essentially for the effect, so that I could get even. Anyway, um, when I was drinking, I would go into these bars. It was disco dancing. It was disco dancing, and you had to have a partner. That was a little tricky. And you do this disco dancing. You know, when you keep a person like me afraid for a long enough period of time, I become angry. And if you keep me angry for a long enough period of time, I will become enraged. And if you keep me enraged for a long enough period of time and you put a drink in me, I will do strange and bizarre things. I will. Sometimes towards the end of my drinking, I didn't know which drink it was going to be. Maybe it was going to be that sixth drink. Maybe it was going to be the fifth drink. Maybe it was going to be the eighth drink. Sometimes it was even the second. I never knew. I keep drinking though. But I never knew when she was going to come out. You know who she is? <laughs> she is that one that is full of rage and full of anger and doesn't know how to tell anybody, wow, that hurts my feelings, please don't do that. So you just get that drink in you. And you've already had drinks before you got to that bar because you had to have those drinks. So you fire down a couple of drinks in that bar and out she comes. Venomous and you stand toe-to-toe -to, -toe to people that you have no business standing toe-to-toe -to, -toe to, and you say stupid things to them like, go ahead, go ahead, hit me, I dare you. And they do. Now you're laying on the floor. You got blood coming out of both eyebrows. You see, when you're a mouse like me, you get popped twice. Two pops. One's not enough. You got a pop, pop. Blood's coming out of both of your eyebrows, and you're laying there, and you're going, why do I talk like that? Why do I act like that? My parents didn't teach me to be like that. Why do I do that? Why am I so angry? Why? Why do I act like that? God, So the thought occurred to me, you know what? There's mean people in those bars. You better start drinking at home. <laughs> So I started drinking at home. I want you to know that I uh, worked three and a half days a week. Three and a half days a week. Took care of this little girl of mine. I actually do hair for a living. Is that ever really twisted when your hands are shaking? It's a tough deal. I worked three and a half days a week. I worked at this beauty salon. And what I would do is at two o'clock in the afternoon, there would be this hole that would rage through the middle of my back. It was after the morning drink. You know the morning when you get up and you go, I'm not going to drink. I am 
not, I'm not, I am not going to drink this morning. And you fire down a drink because you have to. And you get just enough booze in that you can get to work. And at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, that booze is worn off and your hands start shaking and you start sweating like a pig and people are going to know. And you cannot do your job. And you cannot go to the Irish Tower or the Hawaiian Room across the street in Bellflower because I drank in cool place. <laughs> you couldn't get over there to that Irish Tower. You had to stand there. So what I did was I would go down to this place called the TikTok on the end. There was a little store that you have and you buy half a gallon of pizza bleed gallo. Because I'm a fine kind of thorough wine. <laughs> and you'd tell this blonde lady, you know, the working women will be coming in pretty soon. And I'm going to give them a glass of wine. She'd just look at me. After I did that for quite a while, she just would get the gallows pink chablis and put it on the counter. She knew what I needed. I knew what I needed. But I'd have to tell her this story because there's a pride and arrogance inside of an alcoholic like me that I had to make an excuse. That woman would take me out and make me listen to these tapes of this guy called Puck C. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I was supposed to be getting back to work. Besides, I had my ga- half a gallon of gallons peaceably. I needed that. She said, but I don't know how to tell you. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. No, I really don't want to do that. Thanks. She said, so I'd just go in there and I'd listen to this tape. I didn't understand a single thing that man said. Nothing. The only thing I knew by that tape is that guy was old. That's what I knew. But there was a seed planted from this blonde woman because it was Alcoholics Anonymous. And she said Alcoholics Anonymous. And I knew it had something to do with drinking. And I knew that I drank way too much. I hear people get up to this podium and say that they didn't know they drank too much, that they didn't know alcohol was their problem. I want you to know that I believe you because you're at a podium of Alcoholics Anonymous and that's your story for you. I want you to know for me, I knew I drank too much. I know that I'm not supposed to lay on that couch and wet the bed. I know that. I know I'm not supposed to wet on my couch. I know that. I know that. But see, when you've got a drink like me, that's what you've got to do. What you have to do is you have to put the bottle on the counter. You have to watch that bottle go down. And when that bottle gets too low, you don't want to be at 4 o'clock in the morning without a drink. So what you do is you get that kid and you get that cough. And you get your dog, too. And you drive over to the liquor store and you buy yourself some vodka. And you, put, you drive back home and you put that kid to bed and that dog lays there and watches you drink that. This little dog. He just watched me. I loved that dog. Never had a remark to make, you know. Anyway, what I'd do with this wine is I'd go back into this wine and with this uh, blonde lady that I bought, I'd go in the bathroom. I'd fire down two styrofoam cups full because I know it's 2 o'clock and I don't have to look. It's 2 o'clock and I'm dying. And I know that. So I go back there and I uh, fire down two glasses of wine, one more just for, and here comes that feeling. I'll be able to keep my head on. Gonna be able to quit sweating. Fire down another glass of that wine back there. Feeling comes and my hands stop shaking. I can go back out there. And I take that lady one half glass of wine. And she better not want more either. See, because she, she can go next door to the Irish Tower. That woman's free when I get through with her hair. I'm not free. i got to stay there. i got to work. i got to pay those bills. i got to feed that kid. i got to keep a clean house. That's the last thing that I did. As long as I had groceries in my refrigerator, 
and my house was clean, I could not possibly be an alcoholic. Because my perception of an alcoholic is a person that doesn't have a house, or if they have one, it is built. And they have no groceries in the refrigerator for their children. See, that's what I, that's, that's where I got. It's long after I drank in the morning, long after I drank in the morning, and I had to drink in the morning. There's no option. What would happen to me is that I quit doing that to myself. I quit getting up in the morning and going, I'm not going to drink, I'm not, I'm not. Because see, what that did to me is it takes a little bit of this dignity that we have, and it just rips it out of you, peace by peace by peace by peace. To the time you get to Alcoholics Anonymous, you are very sure that if someone takes the top of your head off, there will be nothing in there. It's just that. There is nothing left inside of you. Alcoholism takes away every bit of personal dignity that I had. It's just blackened. I knew that. All I am is what I am on the outside. I wore tight Victoria door pants and tube tops to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous when I first got sober. Because all you are is what you are on the outside. And I knew that. I got here and, um, anyway, this little blonde woman, the night before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had two girlfriends left. Two girlfriends left that would at least come to my home. I had a husband. He was a brown paper bagger. Now, you people, you act like you don't know what a brown paper bag is. Well, I'm going to tell you. In California, we have brown paper bags. It's just a guy that's been out drinking. Both of you have been out drinking and not together because it's very dangerous. It's the first person that gets home. They're in charge of the brown paper bag. You get real mad at that guy. You take some of his clothes, put him in a brown paper bag, put him on the front porch. He drives by, ain't getting in tonight. Grabs that brown bag and leaves. See, that's what we are, brown paper bags. He was in an out mode. And my two girlfriends came over. My two girlfriends, they bought their friends, their boyfriends with them. And they're drinking. And they're getting tipsy. And I am struggling behind a brown paper bag in my own kitchen to pour vodka in a Diet Coke can because I do not want you to know. In my own home. I'm not driving. I'm not going anywhere. I can get as drunk as I want to. But I have to struggle to pour this box can, this Diet Coke can, in my own kitchen behind a brown paper bag, and the thought occurred to me, and there is really something wrong with the way you drink. This is long after going to the doctor and saying, I hear you have these pills. Huh. Yes, Anne, if you take these pills, or they'll kill you. They could kill you. Oh, no, I'm not going to drink. I-, I won't do that. I won't. I promise you. these pills. Seven raisins screaming days and nights with not drinking, taking pills. On the seventh day, I cannot stand it. Not one more second. I cannot stand it. I have to have a drink. Fire down a little sip of wine. Knocks you flat on the floor. You start sweating like a pig. Your heart starts pounding so bad and you feel like your brain's going to just explode. And you get down on that floor and you just lay there and you just try to get as cool as you can. You try to get just as cold as you can and you just lay there and you just don't move. And you just you can feel the sweat just running down your neck. And if you lay there real still and you don't move, it starts going away. When you're an alcoholic woman like me, you have another fit. Because I need one. Knocks me flat down on the floor again. My head's going to blow up. My heart's going to blow right out of my chest. I am sweating. I have to have a drink. It does not matter. The consequences do not matter. No matter what, I have to have a drink. I have to have a drink. That's what alcoholism did to me. I did not come in here because I drank a little bit of wine and spit up. 
I tried every single solitary thing I could possibly do. And I want you to know that I drank on Anabusa and you can live. You can. Because when you're an alcoholic like me and you have to have a drink, it just doesn't even matter. That's how desperate it is. It does not matter. It just doesn't matter. I've got to have a drink. The day after I was drinking in that, uh, pouring that vodka in a Diet Coke can in my own house, I called that blonde lady from the TikTok. She's my Eskimo. I called her up and I said, Marion, I think I drink too much. She said, oh, honey, I've been waiting for you for such a long time. She said, do you think you can not drink for half an hour? I said, God, I'm gonna, I'll try. I'm really going to try. I will. One half hour later, she called me back. She said, we're going to a meeting in Bellflower. Bellflower, wow, that's where I work. Oh, no, don't worry. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. She said, we're going to a place, the Woman's Club. The Woman's Club? Oh, no, somebody's going to see me going in there. No, no, don't you worry. Don't you worry. She said, you be there early. It's an 8 o'clock meeting. You be there at 7.30. I showed up at that door at 7.30. I was scared to death. I drove around that building. I parked in that parking lot. I went walking in there. If I knew where I was going, I would not have went. There was a whole bunch of you guys out there, smiling. <laughs> Hi. How are you? Come on in. Welcome. Just AA and all over the place. You know what I mean? Just that friendly. I'm walking up that steps and I'm just, you know, man. I mean, and I've already made a commitment. I'm going up those stairs. I'm already there saying, hi, how are you? I'm just shaking hands and saying, good. Walk in that door. And that blonde woman saw me. She's a good member of this program to this very day. She jumped up and ran over to me and grabbed me. She said, Ann, I have a seat for you. I have a seat for you right here. Wonderful seat. You can get sober in that seat. It's the second row, third seat in. That's my seat every Monday night. That's the first seat that I sat in that I got up and I said, my name's Ann and I'm an alcoholic. And I sat down and I cried for the first time in a very long time. Because when you're an alcoholic woman like me, you do not tell them and you do not show them. You just don't. We learn that. We do. You never cry. You never let anyone see you cry. You just buck it up. You just get tough. You have to. That's where I came, my first meeting. What a miracle for me. Now, I know this is going to make some of you guys sick, but the only story that I know is my own. But I hear people come up here and they're struggling in Alcoholics Anonymous for the first three years. When I got here, I was beat. I didn't have one more good idea. I was 36 years old. I did not have one single solitary thing left inside of me. Like I told you, I was just a black hole inside. I knew that. There was nothing going on in my life, and I knew that I was hurting this eight-year-old girl. She bobbed and weaved for the first four years I, I was here, and I want you to tell you that because if there's a new mom out there, there's a mom out there like me. I have done that too. I am not proud of that. But I want you to know that it will get better because the women in Alcoholics Anonymous will teach you how to be a mom. That little girl of mine, she's uh, here tonight with me. She's 24 years old. I want to tell you a story before I really get started, though, in my sobriety. I want to remember this story. It reminds me of this because there's two women that we picked up tonight, and I saw that this one girl does have some children. I don't know about the other one. But this little girl right before I got to this program is a singer. She's lip syncing to Debbie Boone, You Light Up My Life. She had all these Mormon kids in our neighborhood. I go off to the market because I am desperate. I drank that glass of wine, the last glass of wine because I'd overshot the mark. There's a cigarette butt in it, you know what I mean? 
you put that baby out of there and you drink that wine because you got to have it. You drive to the store. You run around in there. You put your vodka and your wine in the, in the cart. I don't know if any of you people have ever done this, but you run around the store and you get all your groceries. Hurry back real fast. You get to two cans of Mai Tais in a can. You go up to that check stand. You're sweating again. You got to put things in a brown paper bag. You drive out to your car real fast. You open up the door. You find the brown paper bag. You fire down those two cans. Here comes that thing. Fire down another one. Here comes again. You know you can at least get home because you got your vodka and you got your wine in those bags. And you drive home and you drive into that garage and here's this little girl and her little buds. And their lips thinking to Debbie Boone, you light up my life and here I come. I pop the trunk of that car and my little girl wants to keep me happy because see I'm a man. Sometimes I'm so sick and nice and sometimes I'm a man. And she picked up the bag that had my wine and dropped it and splattered it all over the floor of that garage and I just doesn't that kid know how bad I need that? So my idea is to get her down on the floor and you start choking her because she did that on purpose. I know that. All these other little Mormon kids are watching me choke this kid and the thing that stops me is that one of them kids has got my vodka in it and if they drop that, I'm in big trouble and I'm going to fall apart right now. So I drop that, that little kid. I let that little kid go. I run into that house. I grab that vodka and fire down. No glass. We don't need a glass. When you're an alcoholic like me, you don't need a glass. You just fire that baby down. One, two, three. Here it comes again. The thought occurs to you, you ought to go outside, say something to those little kids. See, if I said something to those little kids, I might have to look at the way I drink. And at that time, before I called that blonde woman, I was not quite ready to look at the way I drink. That is for myself and for my daughter because we don't live like that and I don't want to forget that. Back at the first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I sat down and this woman told me something, and I'm going to tell you this for the ladies. I could not read, I could not talk, I could not put two sentences together, but that woman said to me, and put a nickel between your knees for the first year. Like I said, I couldn't put two, two sentences together, but I knew exactly what she meant. Work for me. That's just a little zinger I thought about that little blonde one. She said, we're going. Do you need a ride? She was willing to take me anywhere, anytime. We started going to meetings, 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 meetings. And I found a woman sponsor. Found a woman sponsor that I love very much. She's a fine woman in Alcoholics Anonymous, a very fine woman. We did all of our inventory. We did everything we were supposed to be doing. She was sponsoring me. Everything was going well to me. It looked like on the outside, everything is just fine. How are you, Ann? I'm fine. How's your home life? Fine. How's it? husband? You're fine. I haven't seen him in three months. We're just fine. Thanks. It's none of your business either. You know what I mean? You can die in Alcoholics Anonymous looking like you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. But I'm fine. Thanks. And smile. People in Alcoholics Anonymous will leave you alone if you find thanks for a long enough period of time and a smile. So you're going to these meetings and uh, the brown paper bad guy calls. You want to go on a cruise? Cruise. Free. Free. Free cruise. I've never been on a cruise. I was three years older. Free cruise. The man that's my sponsor today says that of the seven deadly sins, greed is mine. Free cruise. 
going with some other alky can be saved free. Sure. Me and the brown paper bad guy, we go. I mean, after all, still my husband, sort of. Two and a half months later, come back, have a fast-growing tumor in my belly. His name is Matthew. <laughs> now I got this little girl, she's 13 years old. First nine months of my sobriety, I want you to know that we Aukies, we can. We really can. I do hair. I do hair. I'm a hairdresser. Nine months of sobriety, I opened up with a tremendous amount of help from other people in Alcoholics Anonymous, a beauty shop. That is going 15 years later. We can have it all, we can. We get sober, we go to these meetings, we have a dream, and it can come true, it really does. People in Alcoholics Anonymous help me paint brown dryer chairs black. <laughs> and we opened up that beauty shop at Nine Months Variety, and it was wonderful. We can have it all, we really can. So here we are. My daughter is 13 now. I'm not a stupid woman. I'm going to be 40 years old when I have this baby. I go and have ambiocentesis, and it's perfect. And it's a boy. And I talk to my daughter, and she talks to me. She's 13. We're going to keep this baby. It doesn't matter if she's in or out or in or out or in or out. When I was drunk, I eliminated a child from myself. If there's another woman in this room that has done that, I don't want you to ever, ever, ever feel like you have ever done anything in your life that somebody hasn't done. Anyone in this room does not have to feel like they have ever done anything so bad that someone else in this room has not done that. I did that, and I could not do that sober. So me and this little girl, we're going to have this baby boy. Circumstances beyond my control, this child, this miracle baby, comes out mentally and physically retarded. And I hate you. I hate God. I hate people that get up to this podium of Alcoholics Anonymous and they say, and the loving God we found in Alcoholics Anonymous. I hate you. <laughs> I'm sitting back there and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but I won't tell you. I am not going to tell you. How are you, Anne? I'm fine. How's the home life? Fine. How's that husband of yours? Fine. How's the daughter? Fine. How's that business of yours? Fine. How's that new baby of yours? He's fine. Thanks. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. That makes me not want to tell you that love me the truth. But there's a part of me, sober, five years of sobriety, sober. It's none of your business. The whole is raging, raging. How are you, Anna? I'm fine. Thanks. I just cannot tell you. Sober. The man that's my sponsor today, five years sober. I had not told anyone but my sponsor. She was a fine woman, an alcoholic, a woman, anonymous. I want you to know that she was a very fine woman. She did nothing wrong. I made her my mom. I want you to understand this. It was me. It was never her. It was me. I made her my mom. I became ashamed to tell her. I wanted to please her. I didn't treat her like a sponsor. I treated her like it was my mom. And I couldn't tell her the flying stuff that was going on inside of my head. I wanted her to be proud of me. I wanted her to, to really, you know... I just couldn't tell her. The man that's my sponsor today does not care if he hurts my feelings. He loves me enough to tell me the truth all the time on a continual basis, even if it hurts my feelings. It just doesn't matter. 
See, I need somebody that scares me because this woman, the sponsor of mine, I turned her into my mom. I couldn't tell her, and bad things were going, and things were going through my mind, and things would go into my head, and they'd swirl around, and they didn't come out. They would stay in there. Now, I'm five years sober, and I got stuff swirling around in my brain, unattended. I can't tell her. The man that's my sponsor today, I was coming out of the a, a meeting in um, Huntington Park. It's one of the oldest meetings in Southern California. It's called The Hole in the Ground. The group that I belong to is a big book group of Bellflower, California, and we are very busy. And it's holiday time, and we were coming out of that, that meeting, and the man looked at me and he said, Ann, you don't find one person in here that you can trust and a few friends to share your life with here. You're going to die. The hole went away. You know the hole that I felt at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? That I had to have a drink? You know the hole that's in the middle of our guts that the only thing that we know to do is fill it up with a drink? I have to have a drink. I have found in Alcoholics Anonymous that someone loves you enough to tell you the truth. All the time, the hole goes away. The truth takes that hole away. He told me the truth and I knew that. I knew I needed to make a sponsor change. I asked that man to be my sponsor. He is mean. He is not to be confused with my brother or my uncle or my dad or my God either. But he is the boss. Say, hey, boss, what do you think? I tell him every single solitary bit of slime stuff that runs in my mind. It runs in there and it swings around. And you know, if it just stays in there swinging around for long enough, I think I have to act on that. And I just run it by him. And when it's really something stupid, I don't know if you guys' sponsor does this to you, but my sponsor goes, hmm, I know it means nothing. I know I can just let it drop. I just shared something with him, and then it's, it's not important. If it's something important, he talks to me about it, and I do exactly. And I don't care if anybody thinks that I'm the hole in the donut. My life is better today because I have found someone who loves me enough to tell me the truth all the time, whether it hurts my feelings or not. Because I think I've got these good ideas, but my sponsor's meaner and he's got better ideas. <laughs> I have found that the hole goes away. One day, uh, this little boy of mine, he was in school, and uh, I had just left one of those sessions. You know, one of them silly sessions that they have with your kid that they tell you? They told me that day that the very best thing that I had going on with this kid of mine is that he, was, he loved music. That's about the best he's going to do. I get out in my car. I can't start my car. I can't get out of the parking lot. I am so overwhelmed with anger and fear and rage. And why me? Why my son? Where are you, God? See, I need a sponsor real bad then, real bad. Not somebody that's going to soft soap this thing for me. Somebody that's going to tell me straight out what's happening. I call him up. I said, boss, I can't get out of the parking lot. I cannot get out of the parking lot. And I said, they just told me the best thing he's going to do is music. He said, do you love that boy? He, I said, yes, I do. He said, then I suggest you just go home and put on some music and start singing songs with him. And he hung up on me. <laughs> I got so wired up, I turned on that car, I drove it home very fast. I grabbed that little boy, we put music on, and we started singing songs. An hour later, he called. Are you singing? I said, yes, we're singing. 
I'm not following me again. <laughs> Loves me enough to tell me the truth all the time. All the time. This little boy has turned out to be the miracle of my life. I want you to know that I used to care what kind of shoes you wore. I used to care what kind of car you drove. I used to care what, how much money you had in the bank. When you have a little boy like mine, none of that matters. That is just stuff. That little boy has taught me that it's the God inside of his little heart that speaks to the God inside of me. And absolutely nothing in that world can touch me when I come home. I know that I used to be the kind of woman that I would see people in the malls with their handicapped kids, and I'd go, wow, glad that ain't me. How does she do that? Why is that woman smiling? That's me, and I'm smiling. He is a miracle for me. He has taught me everything good. He has triggered everything that my parents taught me when I was a small child, and he has brought it back to life for me. The steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's one, it's the God inside of him. It speaks to the God inside of me. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous. It is, and it works at home, too. He can lay on my belly, and I've had the worst day, the worst day, the absolute worst day of my life, and I will come home, put my arms around him. We will lay together, and nothing matters. What a miracle for me. I love that boy. He does not have to do anything. He has taught me unconditional love. I hear people get up to the podium and they talk about they become the Alcoholics Anonymous and they begin to love themselves. That did not work for me. I had to find one person that I could love when I first got here. And it took me a long time because, see, you women, you are my enemy. And you men, you had hurt me. It took me a long time to find somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous or in my life that I could love unconditionally. I love my daughter with all my heart, but with her I was just the same. Well, you know, I love you, but could you get better grades? I love you, but do you think you could mind better? I love you, but, you know, do you think you could take out that trash from me? See, I didn't know any better. I have found out through this program and because of this little boy. See, I love my daughter unconditionally today, too just like I love him. And when I began to be able to love the, my children, then I am be, began to be able to love you. And after I was able to love you, then I can begin to love me. That's how it works for me. I, it doesn't matter how it works for you. It does not matter that if you love yourself first, I am very glad. I mean that. But for me, I love me last. When you've been where I have been and you have done the things that I have done, I could not come to a few meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and begin to love myself. It just didn't work that way. I'm going along with this little boy, and he is a fine little boy. He's a fine little boy. He is definitely retarded, and I don't want any of you people to think that I am so stupid that I wouldn't want him to be just like anybody else's kid. But he has taught me a miracle. I'm going along here. I am beginning to understand the miracle of this child in my life. I'm beginning to understand the benefits, and they tell me that my mother is dying of cancer of the pancreas. This is the fine woman. And I'm going to tell you this story because this has been a long time ago. And bad things in my life have not been happening. But there is a thing in Alcoholics Anonymous that I choose to call the wave. And if you're in that wave right now, I want you to know that we will swim together. That nobody has to drown here. Nobody has to do anything alone. I didn't know that. See, I'm going to hold this in. I'm going to keep this to myself. I am not going to tell you that I'm mad at God. I am not going to tell you that something's wrong. I'm just fine. Thanks. Fine. Right out that back door. Fine. I'm fine. Thank you. My mother's dying of cancer of the pancreas. I'm diving up to San Marcos. I'm cussing at God one more time. 
Why my mom? Why me? What is this? Miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous from you. Because, see, I don't know this stuff. I'm a runner. I'm a hider. I don't want to know this. I don't want to feel this. I need to get numb. That's what I want to do. That's what I normally want to do. I need to get numb. I drove up there and I got onto her porch. She's a very thin, very frail, very skinny, sick woman. I put my arms around her. She put her arms around me and a gift from you. She said to me, I am not afraid when you are here. When you're a runner and a hider, when you're always guilty, when you're always bad, when you are coming from behind inside of your heart, and someone tells you that you love that much, I am not afraid when you are here. I never drove down to San Marcos again, cussing and pounding on the steering wheel again. It was a true privilege for me. My sponsor has taught me, Anne, when you say you're going to show up, show up. I don't care if you want to show up or not. It doesn't matter what your feelings are. You get in that car because you said you're going to be there, so you be there. You don't make people worry. You be there. You show up. I showed up. What a miracle. That woman passed away. She was taught me so many good things that you have relit inside of me from what I knew when I was little, but I drank away. And I have a, a miracle from this program that I want you to know about. And the miracle is there is no guilt. I was a good daughter. My mom and I cleared out everything that needed to be cleared out. I did not have any guilt. No guilt. I am always guilty. I am always bad. I am always wrong. I am always coming from behind. No guilt. What a freedom. Wow. My dad's in a what they call advanced stages of Alzheimer's. And this is what I want you to know. Alcoholics Anonymous is living life. Nobody got up to this podium and told me that you're being so good here, nothing bad is going to happen to you. That is my twisted perception. I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I think, well, you're being so good. I used to thank God for parking places. Oh, I'm being so good. Thank you for the parking place. Oh, my God. Now, the next week I drive into that parking lot and there is no parking place for me. I go, oh, my God, I'm being bad. What have I done wrong? He's mad at me. See the God that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous? He said, Dan, over there is a parking place. Drive your car over there, get in it, and walk. Oh, okay, I can do that. God is not mad at me. Good things in life happens and bad things in life. It's life on life terms. That's what we learn to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. It has absolutely nothing to do with I'm being good, that my boy is handicapped. It has nothing to do that my mother died of cancer. You people have pain and problems and people that are dying and hurt too. You people have children, handicapped and whatever. But in my twisted perception, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I think I'm being good here. Nothing bad's supposed to happen to me. Well, guess again. My dad's in advanced stages of what they thought was Alzheimer's. Bring him in a rest home, put him close to my beauty shop. Win every day because I'm a martyr. I have to have my sponsor say, Anne, go every other day. What is the matter with you? It'll be fine. Go every other day. And don't miss a meeting either. And I made a commitment I'm going to wash his clothes. Okay, wash his clothes. Makes you happy. One night I went to this restaurant. It was a very fine place, very fine place. My dad had stool all over him. He was tied down because that's what they do to people in those homes, not because they're mean, but because they, my father needed to be tied down. What did you teach me in Alcoholics Anonymous to do? The next indicated thing, and the next indicated thing is those nurses are busy. They've already taken care of my dad. You get your dad up out of bed, you wash him off, you put clean pajamas on him, and you put him back to bed. That's what you do. And you drive to the meeting like a maniac. 
You drive like a maniac and you see your sponsor way, way, way over in the far corner. That's the only person that you beat in on. You do not talk to anybody. You find his face. You go straight at his face. And you get right in his face. And you say, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay. I just push poop off my dad and I walk in here and I see, hear people talking about flat tires and broken fingernails and I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> and he said, no, you won't. He said, you go over there and you get yourself a cup of coffee and you sit in your seat. I said, no, I don't want to sit in my seat. Somebody will talk to me. <laughs> he said, no, they won't. <laughs> Nobody talked to me. I'm sitting in my seat. And the music of Alcoholics Anonymous healed my soul one more. And that music for me is an electric atmosphere that it talks about in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This room is just a room, but by God, when we are in here, there is an electric atmosphere that goes on in here. There is. I am sitting in that seat, and I hear a group of you guys over here laughing. And I hear a group of you guys over here talking. And I hear a bunch of women over here laughing. And I hear a bunch of people. And it's the music of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know that someday, if I can stay sober, and if I tell some, one person the truth, and if I share my life with a few of my friends and I'm not just fine, those things that are happening to me right now will be gone. I can live through that with you. And the music of Alcoholics Anonymous that night healed me because I know that if I stay here with you, life on life's term is going to spin and it's going to be okay again. My dad did not remember what he ate for lunch, but by God, when he died, you see, he did not have Alzheimer's. He had many strokes. And I would ask him, Daddy, who am I? And he said, well, Ann, you're my baby girl, Ann. We found out he had many strokes. That man knew that I was there. What a miracle Alcoholics Anonymous gave me. You said you were going to show up. Show up. Show up every other day because you said you are going to show up. I don't care if your dad doesn't remember what he had for lunch. You said you were going to be there. Now be there. See, I learned that from you. I'm a runner and a hider. I don't want to know this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to be here. I need to get drunk. That's what I need to do. And you taught me to show up. And I was there. Miracle again. No guilt. Wow. How can that happen? No guilt. My life, because of not having this guilt, my life is very smooth for me today. There are bad things that happen to me. I do not want you to think that I just come whistling into these rooms. Life on life's terms still happens down. It does. Every day, good days, bad days, good days, bad days, some exciting days, some kind of, hmm, half butt days. But it's life on life's terms, and I live it to the fullest, and I enjoy my family. I came to these meetings, and I don't want you to think that you use your children as an excuse. Because I've been a single mom for a long time. Two times. Sober. And what we women do with these children is that we do the very best we can to find someone. But we also do not hide in Alcoholics Anonymous from our children because I did that too. You go to the amount of meetings that your sponsor tells you to go to and you make it. No excuses. We just go. Because we are important. We are. And because I need you, I need you. Go to these meetings and uh, my life is very good. It is very good. 
Bad things come, bad things go, good things come, good things go. You stay in this meeting, you find one person that you can trust and a few friends to share your life with here, and it gets very good. Now, I want you to do something. I want to tell you one more thing before I sit down. It was a few years ago. It was when the sponsor of mine was helping me constantly, helping me constantly, helping me constantly, helping me constantly. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. And the hole came back in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now I am very confused. I have done the right thing with my parents. I am going to all of these meetings. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. And the hole is raging back in the middle of my gut. There's 12 steps here. Well, I got to 11 and quit. See, because I'm real busy and I'm running a business and I got this little boy and I got a sponsor. I'm helping. I can't. The hole come raging back in the middle of my gut. I did not know what was wrong. My sponsor takes a look at me and he says, who are you sponsoring, Anne? Mm. Well, I've been busy. He says, well, you're not that busy. My first baby just celebrated eight years. That's how long I pushed it. The hole comes raging back when you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. I was doing everything. I was showing up. I was showing up, showing up, showing up, showing up. I ain't going to help nobody, though. I'm busy. I sponsor numerous women today. They have saved my life. It is complete for me when I do it all. It does not mean that I like it when they call me, but I want you to know that after I pick up the phone and they start talking to me, my sponsor talks, and he says something that fills the hole in my gut many times over. And what it is, is that he says to me, when you empty yourself of self, Anne, you are automatically full of God. That man saved my life again. I sponsor these women. And one fellow, too. I don't know how you people feel about that here, but uh, he just celebrated one year after six years in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm grateful that I could be there. We just do the deal. We just do the deal. We do Alcoholics Anonymous all 12 steps. I was reading in my 24-hour-a-day book. It talks about sponsorship in there. It talks about helping another Rocky. It has made my life complete. I want to thank all of you absolutely from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you especially, Katie, and your beautiful Mary, who I got to see today, who tickled my soul. She's a little girl. I watched her and she's just talking. I am so grateful to be alive. I am so grateful that my daughter is here. And I am so grateful to you for the dignity that I live my life with today.